Let's do this thing. That recorded you right there. <laughs> I didn't tell it to do the countdown. Oh. So is that the intro? Well, that's fine. It's better than your intros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the last one was a terrible intro. All right. So we are back. But we this are. time, we're talking about Good Friday. And this will be released on Good Friday as well. So if you're listening to this, thank you for listening. This is John Chafee and Mark Reif again. The same chap who is here to talk about Palm Sunday. Chap. And I like it. Chap? Yeah. 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 And really, we went all over the place. Yeah. But... Scattered conversation. But that's fine, because today is part one of two parts. It's going to be about Good Friday this time, and then the next one will be about Easter. Yeah. So these are two sides of the same coin, and you can't have one without the other and still mm-hmm. maintain a Christian message. So... Gotcha. <laughs> Sounds like something a capitalist would say. Two sides of the same coin... All comes down to money, John, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like sunrise and sunset. You have to have both. How about that? Uh, fine. Okay. Or is it sunset or sunrise? So. Chronologically. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What what counts as Good Friday? Like, actually, talk me through. Like, what are the events of? Just a quick like third ten, ten second recap. Like, All right. So obviously, like Monday Thursday is the same night they had the good the last meal. Right, the, last, the supper. last supper, and then he washes feet, and then he goes and prays in the in the water in the uh, in the garden. In the garden. Gethsemane. Yep, that one. Yep. And then what happens? Good Friday. This it's the legal right. proceeding. Is that well? Okay, so Good Friday is summarized by three G's. All right. Have you heard of these? No. So the first one's. <laughs> <laughs> the first Everyone one. Everyone knows the three G's, Mark. <laughs> You're a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the first one's Ges- uh, Gethsemane. All right. So right after the Last Supper, when he washes their feet, in yep. John at least, not in the other Gospels, but mm-hmm. in John, he washes their feet, he goes to Gethsemane to pray. Mm-hmm. Then he gets arrested and is brought before the midnight trial. And then in the morning, early in the morning, he's there with Pilate, and the whole crowd is mm. chanting crucify. Gotcha. But that's the second G. That's Gabbatha. Not many people know that. You make that word up? No. No. <laughs> no. So that little court, uh, court area is called Gabbatha. All right. And then he gets sentenced to be crucified, is stripped, whipped, beaten, and then has to carry the cross out to Golgotha, which is the third G, uh-huh. which is where he dies. Gotcha. So if you want to be specific, at least in the Jewish mindset, Good Friday started at the third star visible on Thursday night. Because the... <laughs> third star yeah. visible? Yeah. So it actually goes into why it's three days being dead. Yeah. Because the change over the day for us in modern day is midnight. Uh, but in Jewish consciousness in the day, back yeah. in that day, it was at sunset was the changeover yeah. into yeah. the new day. Gotcha. All right. So you could say Good Friday starts yeah. literally with Gethsemane leading to Gabbatha that finalizes yeah. in So Golgotha. it's all his legal proceedings and his death all in one day. Yes. That's what we're talking here. Yeah. All right. All right. So, so I mean, we didn't really, we're not really going to talk about Monday Thursday per se, so we can even probably feed in some of that. Yeah. Praying at Gethsemane. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. We want to start... I want to start 
at its the scandalous idea, but we can't get there yet. Oh, let's not go to the scandalous idea because that's I got I got that's at Golgotha. So let's think of all right. How about Last Supper or Gethsemane? Yeah, I want to talk about Gethsemane. Okay. All right. So I think one of the things that as I was trying to chew on, you know, like what was I carrying into this Easter season, um, was this idea. Uh, or like the the picture of Jesus sort of saying, you know, take this cup from me, praying, take this cup from me. Mm. Um, and I think this idea of drinking deep the cup that God puts in front of you um, is an interesting one. Mm. And I've been trying to like, one way that I've actually been reflecting on this is, I don't know if you, you probably don't know this story. There was a guy uh, who worked for the UN uh, who was killed in DRC in the past, about a year ago. Wow. Um, he was a peace worker. He, he was working on... Um, conflict among tribes and and him and a, another colleague uh, a Swedish lady um, they were both they were both killed uh, and found dead they went missing for a few days and they were found dead this this kid is he was I mean he was like 34 um, wow. so he's only you know he's, he's around our age. age he's yeah. a little older than me but he also grew up in Mennonite circles so he's he was closely affiliated with a lot of Mennonite circles you yeah know, his dad was a Mennonite pastor and so like people knew about him right and you know so between I didn't know him, but I had, I had friend. He's friend of a friend. Like I knew people who knew him because wow. we work in similar international contexts, right? Uh-huh. And so, um, given the amount of travel I do in in African countries for work, uh, and also the background, and also the age, and all the other pieces, it's sort of like a, it's a little bit like of a cost counting. It, it, like count the yeah. cost of what you could be walking into and what God could uh, be putting in front of you, right? Um, and. And so I think that's been sort of a heavy thing to carry. So just this past week, they, uh, the, the Mennonite publication did a, an article about an interview with his parents a year later. And it, was, it, didn't, it didn't hold back from being very raw. Um, wow. And so just sort of to read that and to read about their experience with repatriating his body and, and all the things that went into that. And then um, there, there actually turned out to be a cell phone video of the killing. Um, that's horrifying. And so, you know, they talked about his parents' experience with that. And, um, you know, I had to, I mean, when I think about what kind of a cup God could be putting in before me, like that has to be on the table for, for my line of work. Right. Um, yeah. That's heavy. I mean, you know, yeah. So uh, counting the cost of the work that you do and that we all do. Uh, and if we take seriously the idea that that God can lead us, lead us to the cross, to our own crosses, right? Um, in real tangible ways that us folks in the West don't have to experience on a day in day out basis, albeit we have enough examples of people who are fa- who have faced that, whether it's yeah, Parkland shootings or or you know any other shooting that's mm-hmm. happened. Um, there's always tragedy, but you know to to think about th- this was one that just sort of hit home a bit more. Sure. Um, I'm not sure where I was going with that. But I guess just thinking about this idea of where Jesus sort of said, you know, take this cup from me. Would I be at a place where I would be comfortable or able? I pray I would be at a place where I would be able to face something like that mm. if forced to. Um, right. But then also be very grateful that God has protected me thus far. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's I mean, one thing that comes to mind. I mean, Gethsemane is a heavy, heavy scene, and we, we sometimes, maybe we make a cartoon of it because, like, oh, it's Jesus praying, and all the disciples are asleep, and he keeps coming back, and they're still sleeping, but 
one, how do we know what he was actually praying? Because everybody else was asleep and he died. So mm-hmm. between when and then did he share what he was praying to God? Yeah. But there's something striking to me that Jesus prayed to get out of it too. Like there's a legitimate struggle with the task at hand. Mm. And I think sometimes we gloss over the uncomfortable parts of Jesus Mm -hmm. that actually rather reinforce his human side. Mm. And so is is there something to be taken from the fact that the figure of Jesus wasn't galloping into the crucifixion like no. triumphant and he was no. he was actually praying that it wouldn't have to happen and yeah. I mean if you if we want to contrast this with Palm Sunday that was the height of his Palm Sunday is the height of his human yeah. celebrity this yeah, evening is when it with the the kiss on the cheek yep. it all just goes straight down yep hmm but the idea that take account of what might be asked of you yeah. in the name of love and sacrifice. Yeah, and I think, I think that hits a little bit harder now because... So, like, there's a lot of us, a lot of us who grew up in evangelical-esque settings uh-huh. and we're raised with this, you know, um, we were raised with the idea that following Jesus could be something unto death to the extent that there was even this idea that, uh, you know, popular American culture was out to get the Christians and it's still prevalent. I mean, you can watch Fox news, you can watch a whole lot of other things that where you have evangelicals who say that they're the persecuted minority <laughs> when oftentimes right. they're, they're a, a majority and it's sort of a, uh, a, a you know, crying wolf. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I mean, I was raised in that kind of a context. And then I went to seminary and watched the Rob Bells and, you know, came to a place where I didn't feel like there was that same tension with popular culture. I mean, there was still tension, but there was a lot more friendliness. Like, yeah, we can all sort of get along. So it's kind of hyperbole. The world is against you. Yeah. It's like, no, it's not that much. You come to this other side where you're like, no, we can all be cool. And so, you know, you can... Hmm. You can watch Game of Thrones or you can do a couple of, you know, other things that are more worldly-esque and right. and have friends who are outside the church and still get along with them. And you almost oh, yeah. lose this sense and forget this sense that, you know, that you were raised with, that all it takes is, you know, all it takes is uh, Kirk Cameron to be to be right about the end times. <laughs> and, and you might have to ask the question of which side of the fence do you want to be on, the persecuted or... Or on the side of the the power, right? Like the human power. Um, right. And so I think for me, when I think about drinking deep that cup, it I think it hits a little bit harder because I don't think I've lived within that mental framework for for a, a number of years now, yeah. as closely as I was probably raised with it. You know, yeah. being yeah. the kid who had to watch the '70s movies. I wish they all been ready or whatever. <laughs> I have no idea. You what don't you're know any of those about. things. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure there's some Christians who'd be like, "You don't know what that is, yeah. John? Are you I, even saved?" I didn't even know Michael W. Smith's I know. albums. Like, who? I know Sandy uh, Patty. You mainline kids. Well, I very quickly found Christian metalcore when I was 16, and I just dove into <laughs> it's metal. The grace of God. <laughs> I'm pretty God. sure. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, Gethsemane also has that unique passage. It's in Luke 22 where it talks about he was sweating blood. Yeah. Which is a legitimate medical condition. Some people have capillaries that are close to their skin, like mm. the layering. Mm-hmm. And under immense stress, the capillaries can burst, and then it looks like you're sweating blood. Mm. But it only happens under moments of extreme stress, huh. which I find very, very fascinating. So what, Jesus had a birth defect? Is that what you're telling me? It wouldn't make him less human. Ah, good point. To have freckles or wrinkles yeah. or a congenitive heart. Right failure well, there's also well th- this is a comment for Golgotha when we get to that point yeah. but there's a chance that he was a hunchback moving on <laughs> <laughs> alright that's a foreshadowing so next would be Gabbatha when right. he's brought before Pilate so yes he had the midnight trial that was completely illegal because not all the Sanhedrin were there the 70 priests but Gabbatha is when Pilate washes his hands and it's when the Jewish audience yelling crucify him who are the same that were singing mm-hmm. Hosanna mm-hmm. are now saying crucify him mm-hmm. but they're also the ones that say if you let him go you are no friend of Caesar and then the Jewish crowd says we have no Lord but Caesar oh man so go. What what does Gabbatha have to do with that for you? We have no friend but Caesar. Yeah. Let me look up that precise wording. It is amazing how much it illustrates the, I think, the, the oppressed context that, that first century Israel was. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. do you think anyone wanted to, to have, no one wanted to be Caesar's friend. Caesar was the, you know, the lesser of two terrible options. Um, which I think is probably how a lot of people feel about the political process right now in the U.S., but yeah. uh-huh. it's this idea that you had an, an oppressed people who, did they like Caesar? No, but they had to take what they could get for their own safety. It was a survival oh. play. It was a survival play. And we see, you know, it's... So, this, what, so when they yell crucify him, and what may not have been fully out of malice is also kind of like their own self Oh, yeah, it's like the parent who can send their kid to a good orphanage where they're going to get three square meals a day instead of the one square meal that they can uh, serve them, and so they say that the kid's abandoned because it will give them a better life at an orphanage mm-hmm. in, in Africa. Sorry, I might be a broken wheel just because that's, that's my context. Yeah. But, like, you know, it's, a, it's, it's people who are trying to make survival happen um, and, and make the best of a really bad situation. So that's sort of what I, that's what grabs me from Gabbatha. I mean, if, if, they, mm. if they went to that point, like it's one thing. Yeah, verbatim, at least yeah. in NIV, it says, we have no king but Caesar. The chief priests answered that. Oh, those guys did? I thought you meant the actual people. Well. That's different. That's different. Okay. Because those guys were political sellouts then. In John, <laughs> at least in John's gospel, it says we have no yeah. king but Caesar. All right. Okay. They were politicians, and we'd all expect politicians to say whatever well, they need like to say. Polit- oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Let's see if there's any correlation to today. So religious and political emphases or spheres might be intertwined here. The chief priests. Oh gosh. It's um 
I would like to go back and reread some of the Gospels from the from the perspective of looking at how religion was hijacked for other purposes back yeah. in the day. Yeah. So like Jesus came along and exposed the lie of what bad religion was. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. like, good. No, religion is great. But like, no, this is actually, you're doing this for political gain. You're doing this for authority. You're doing this to feed your pride so that you are the respected person in your community. But good religion. Okay. I feel like I'm on the verge of maybe something. <laughs> Keeps crouching. Good. good. <laughs> I guess like a healthy spirituality, which we have to differentiate from religion. Religion would be the external rites and passage, uh, rites of passage that maybe reinforce that spirituality is good. Mm-hmm. That can become rather empty as soon as it becomes about feeding the ego or something else. But healthy spirituality is always about the further thriving of a person and the further thriving of the local community mm-hmm. and a deepening of their mm-hmm. relationship with the divine or God. Mm-hmm. Or, um, Gabbatha seems to be one of those instances where, I mean, right there, the chief priests were not concerned whatsoever with the thriving of every single party. Hmm. They knew that if there was going to be another Jewish revolt or yeah, uprising yeah. they were good like the roman officials would come for them like yeah. you didn't tell your people to calm down yeah so so it was their own safety they were looking out for yeah the the context is that Pilate already had two major revolts and he mm-hmm. had a statement come down from above that said if there's another riot or revolt you're going to get beheaded Ugh. So he knew that this whole situation with the crowd yelling, crucify him, and this Jewish carpenter that was beloved by many people, he knew that he had to handle the situation properly because he couldn't, he knew another riot would cost him his life. So that's why he washes his hands of it. That's why he defers the passing of the judgment Mm -hmm. off to the crowd, to the the Mm. chief priests. And... There's a part of me that almost has a, a little bit of sympathy for Pilate in that situation. I think most people think that he was spineless and he just like didn't stand up for... Blah, blah, blah. That is also kind of true. What <laughs> yeah, it is true. Hmm. Oh. Have you read Crable's uh, Upside Down Kingdom? No. You ever read Don Crable's Upside Down Kingdom? I feel like you mentioned it to me. And I, I should probably have. have. I, should I have, have a lot of really good recommendations and until someone else tells them to you, you don't listen. <laughs> And then you're going to be like, oh, you know, I've heard about this book. Let me tell you about it. Shane Claiborne told me about Crayville. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It would be something like that. The Upside Down Kingdom yeah. is... It, he's a he's a sociologist out in Elizabethtown. And, oh. and, and a Baptist-affiliated Mennonite. I don't, think he's, I don't know if he's Mennonite. He's, mm. he's you know, Mennonite-friendly, right? Okay. But what he did, he took a sociological view, sociopolitical view of the Gospels. Um, wow. did a whole bunch of research on what were the, all these contextual cues that we talk about, right? So like, what's the context for this to this and, and sort of does a lot of that background work, right. um, and works through the, works through the text that way. Um, so he talks about like the taxation system at the time and, you know, uses that as a, as a foil for explaining and illustrating and illuminating a lot of the parables. 
Like what kind of wow. oppression people were living under, what kind of pieces, you know, mm. women were suffering and, and the, the gender baggage and what that really meant for life then. Yeah. That's a lot of the stuff we're kind of, ta- you know, kicking around here. Um, yeah. All in one, all in one gathered text. But, wow. You know, maybe you should read that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I'll add it to my Amazon checklist. Yeah, I have a copy you can probably borrow too. But. Okay. Can you think of anything else for Gabatha before we go to Golgotha? No. Well, you know, I, I walked the Via Della Rosa. That's cool. Did you really? Yeah. I mean, the traditional one in Jerusalem. I know the Sandy Patty song about that. You know that one? I've probably heard it and blocked it out. <laughs> <laughs> Down the Via Della Rosa. Oh. On the way to Jerusalem. No, I don't know that one very no, well. No. Okay. Well, I just walked. I totally did it better than she did. <laughs> so you walked it? Yeah. Or at least the, the common route. Yeah, I mean, it? like, whatever the traditional route is. I wasn't trying to be like a, you know, I wasn't Nicolas Cage <laughs> <laughs> trying to find treasure. I think, uh, I've seen The Passion of the Christ a number of times, not a ton. But this, the one scene that gives me chills every single time is when Jesus is on the Via Dolorosa and he's carrying the cross and he trips and falls and he looks over and sees his mother and then he says to her, it's actually, a, a, it's taken from Revelation and put in here, mm. but he says, behold, I make all things new and then stands up and keeps going. And more than, I even know this scene is coming and it still gives me chills every single time. Behold, I make all things new. Um... Yeah. Hmm. I also really like uh, at Gabatha. Again, it's the uh, another form of the mockery of the coronation service. Uh, he has the purple yeah. robes on him, but yeah. instead of a golden crown, he gets a crown of thorns. Yeah. Just a giant mockery. It's almost like he like the crucifixion story yeah. is also insulting pomp and circumstance. Yeah. So. The preacher I heard on Sunday actually referenced the white horse. Talked about sort Did of really? yeah. I mean, he talked about how he didn't drive at it like I heard what he was doing and I knew what he was doing. Okay. Um, because of our conversation about Palm Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, about how this was sort of an inverse mockery almost of having having Jesus come in on a donkey instead of a white horse, where we you know we have the military mm. might of the white horse and everyone sort of has taken that on. Um, right. But that came up on Sunday and I was like, oh, that's a really good point. Makes me wonder what would be the, like in today's context, what would be the inverse or the opposite of a military parade? Hmm. Would it be driving a taxi, the servant vehicle of today? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. It's worth thinking about. It All is. right. So then let's go to Golgotha where things get real interesting. Yeah. So, yes, so, he carries the cross. Yeah. Chances are he probably didn't carry the whole thing. They usually only carried the cross beam, yeah. the, the horizontal piece, and then they would go out to where the, the right. vertical already was. Yeah. Because... Well, you got to stick that in the ground first. Well, and <laughs> according to some theorists, they say that it could have weighed upwards of 300 pounds if you had the full piece. Hmm. So, That's 350. I don't really have a lumber yard... However, that also would give more credence to the fact that he needed help yeah. from Simon of Serene. Yeah. But by the time he gets nailed and crucified and he's strung up between two thieves, mm-hmm. which is fascinating 
in its own commentary. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what what stands out to you? Yeah, you just had a morbid fascination right there. <laughs> no, you're talking about the two thieves, and it, it reminded me of something this past week. So I, oh, okay. <clears throat> every time you log into something, right? You log into something on the computer. You need a password. And it, yeah, and at the bottom it says, remember me with a check mark. <laughs> <laughs> totally, this past week I was like, Jesus, I was like remember, remember me, me. remember me, <laughs> and I checked it. <laughs> that was my, that was my Bible nerd. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> remember me, remember me. <laughs> but, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, it's a good picture of the humanity though that was on the cross. Um, oh yeah, but I do want to come back to like so we talked about this in in Gethsemane. Okay. Um, like we gloss over Gethsemane, and really we gloss over probably a decent bit of, of Good Friday, because yes. we know about the we know the ending. That is true, right? Like I mean, if you were reading it straight on, and that's kind of what the Passion of the Christ did really well with Mel Gibson is like he forced you to be in the moment, um, and you when could you rush to Easter, exactly. Oh. So a we either rush, and b I mean, if you're in the moment, you think Jesus, if he's really human, I'm fully human. You think he knew he was going to get risen from the dead? You think you you're crying tears of blood if you just know it's going to be like okay, a bad so three we're going to go there. Let's go there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's kind of the question at play here. So, I frequently have conversations with people that rush to Jesus's divinity hmm. in certain circumstances. So, like, yeah, he's talking with the Pharisees, or he's having issues with talking with this woman at the well, or something. But so many people are like, yeah, but he was God. It's like, but kenosis, that's like the Greek word. (laughs) Yeah, kenosis, John. (laughs) Thanks. But it means to empty. Like Jesus self-emptied of all of these divine attributes out of humility. He gave up omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience. Wait, so he didn't have superpowers. Jesus didn't know French. All right, well, I mean. Hold on, hold on. But hold on. Why is it we're okay with saying that, but we have a hard time saying he didn't know everything back then? One of the one oh, of the you're the Presbyterian. <laughs> well, that's. I think I might be. I push the boundaries on the omnis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the incarnation challenges omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence because all of a sudden mm-hmm. there is a man here who's dying, who's localized in this one body, who apparently doesn't know how his own story is going to end. And that's why he prays to get out of it. I mean, I would think, right? Like, it's not just an So act. do you think he he didn't necessarily... Well, but he does have comments where he says, but the temple will be raised again in three days. Maybe he had some instances. Maybe. But you see... Um, ah, so you think he did know. You think he knew this know. was a three-day trip. This is just a three-day bender to no, Vegas. No, I don't, I don't know. All right. I want to rest... In that Jesus had faith, yeah, not certainty. Uh, that's a pretty good idea. And I had this argument with a pastor not too long ago that as soon as you have certainty, you don't have faith anymore. Mm. Because faith, you could translate as trust. Yeah. As soon as you have certainty, you don't have a need for trust. Mm. And one of the things that's really profound is, at least with the Reformers, Martin Luther used to say, stop putting faith in how much faith you think you have. 
I start putting faith in how much faith Jesus had. So it, it mm-hmm. decentralizes the object of faith away from your faith and into the faith of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I think I'd be more content saying Jesus trusted that he was going to be raised rather hmm. than saying that he was certain. This is like, you yeah. see, this is the boundary yeah. where people start to get uncomfortable. Of course. Because I think it starts to really hammer in. We don't go to the full extent of incarnation. True. We don't, like, you could say everybody has a starting point that they're more comfortable with. The son of man or son of God. Is Jesus human or is he God? Mm -hmm. And some people start with saying he was human and have a hard time getting to say that he was God. And some people start with saying he was God and have a hard time getting over to saying he was human. But the the Chalcedonian formula, the creed that says, but he was without confusion, division, separation, or change, both of them. And that's the tension we have to sit between. How can you be God and yet not certain at all times, but instead live a life of faith? Because God is faithful. Okay, so then that goes real good into what I want to talk about. Elahi, Elahi, Lama Sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so here's Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man, without confusion, division, separation, or change, has a lapse of faith, feels forsaken, is dealing with the abandonment of God. Mm -hmm. So God wasn't faithful in that moment. At least experientially, Jesus was experiencing the abandonment of God. Hmm. And uh, I once had a conversation with a pastor who said, no, 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 you can't say that. He's actually quoting the victorious psalm. I was like, if he was quoting a victorious psalm, why doesn't the text have him quote the whole psalm? Or why did he only quote the first line of the psalm, but not the triumphant end? I mean, maybe he wasn't about the details. It might have been a little painful on the cross. (laughs) That is true. That is true. (laughs) To be fair. But I, as soon as, you see, we, um, I guess this is one of the things that I really am interested by, is we, we acknowledge that paradoxes exist, but we don't like diving into them. (laughs) And I want to dive into the middle of saying, here is God experiencing doubt in God or doubt of God or you see that's a yeah. that's a paradox yeah, it is. it's 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 I feel as though the crucifixion may be one of those instances that's not irrational or all rational it's yeah. just not even necessarily like beyond rational. It's just, and it's a completely other category. And hmm. how do you make sense of an event that you can't make sense of? And I think that's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, excuse me, just burped. Sorry, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, oh man. She won't believe it wasn't you. <laughs> yeah, I'll still. It was Mark, Lisa. <laughs> don't you don't you spread lies? <laughs> Podcast about Jesus. <laughs> okay, where was I going? Uh, Paul, I don't remember. You're trying to make sense. Oh, of the but cross. Paul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Paul, in his letters, he talks about the crucifixion from like military lang- lingo mm-hmm. of like 
um, battle has been won. There's financial lingo of like a debt has been paid. Yep. There is uh, medical dead and alive in Christ or something. Mm-hmm. But there's so many angles because as soon as you fixate on just one angle, um, like judicial, oh, you lose the yeah, you lose the yeah, you miss yeah. all the other nine angles mm-hmm. that are really helpful to flesh out this mm-hmm. most curious and a incredible event. So one more quote, and then you. Have to say have to something. Say something. <laughs> All right, I'll try and figure out something so, intelligent to say. Uh, so Tertullian had this one line, and yeah. he said, "I believe because it's absurd. I believe right. because it's absurd." And so we often want to say, "It makes sense, therefore I believe," or "I have rationalized it into something that I can believe." Hmm. But here's a Tertullian saying, "No, it is absurd, therefore I believe." We understand it's absurd, therefore we don't believe. But here he is. No, no, this this event makes no sense. And that's why it's got to be true. Hmm. All right. And there's something also going on. This is going to challenge somebody who's listening that's more conservative in their bend. I'm totally fine with talking about Jesus... And the the crucifixion from a historical perspective. That's fine. But if you only stay there, you're missing out on the meaning of the events. And Uh. I feel like um, we tend to do either or. We either only talk about the historicity of it Mm -hmm. or we only try to make the meaning of it and we don't bother with historicity. So how do we do both at the same time with an event that's non-rational I don't know Good Friday is the whole day is just a paradox yeah yeah how alright so I mean we've talked a heck of a lot about the historical Mm. we've talked about the we've unpacked that we have um, we've talked about I mean we haven't talked about the historicity like there's that kind of stuff we could have talked about Josephus but we can leave that to the side sure because that it's just for another level of nerd that we are not. <laughs> but then, if we think about what meaning is, I mean, you know, what does it mean if God, did God actually forsake Jesus on the cross? Go, keep going. And what is that? Ask I mean, what the are, question. What are the, what's the implications for that for dealing with his time when he was dead? Was Jesus on his on, on his, his own. human own? There's the same way that that he didn't have the support of the Father. I mean, here's that another what you're level. At? Here's another level. <laughs> it says that he gave up his spirit. What does that even mean? He gave up the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay. That that Jesus descended into hell apart from the other two persons of the Trinity. That the on Good Friday. Some people will not like this wording. On Good Friday and Silent Saturday, the Trinity was undone that all things might be made new again on Sunday. So. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just have this vision of like a slingshot being pulled out and like Jesus going into it and then, you know, firing it back through. But. So, like, he rebooted the Trinity? <laughs> I, 
it's um have I shown you the 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 icon that I have in my other room? Yeah, probably. It doesn't it's even remember. The three persons of the Trinity oh, yeah. sitting around the table. Yeah. And the the original painting by Andre Rublev might have had a mirror at it. So that the Trinity table actually has a space for you, the observer, that you uh, would see your yeah. reflection yeah, in you it. Tell me about that. But the idea is what if the Trinity undid itself in order to make space for you to join in? You see, I'm saying this, but this yeah. this is like inherently challenging to Western Protestant Christianity. Well, yeah. But Eastern Orthodox yeah. and some parts of Catholicism are totally okay with yeah. this idea of God became man so that we might become like mm-hmm. God. But that's just, it's like Genesis all over again. Yeah. You're not trying to become like God by eating the fruit without God's help. Mm-hmm. Now you're becoming like God because God actually invited you into the Trinity. Hmm. So it's almost like it's also the undoing of the mistake that happened in Genesis 3. Yeah. But that on this holy tree, fruit was hung, not taken off. Uh. The fruit that gave life was put yeah. back into the tree or back on the tree, whereas otherwise we took the fruit off and it yeah. brought death. Right. It's like, there might be some cosmic symbolism to the crucifixion that harkens back to Genesis 3. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So, if the Trinity is undone, Jesus dies. Goes, goes to down, hell alone. Without, goes to hell alone. So, like, is it... If he's on his own and fully human, what does that, I mean, he didn't have his godly superpowers to defeat sin, quote unquote. Okay. How is sin defeated, maybe, in this in this framework? How is sin dealt with? I mean, you know, because everyone wants to talk, I mean, obviously, we, we, we grew up in penal substitutionary context where right. there had to be this, you know, this blood sacrifice, this spotless right. lamb. The um, anger of God had yeah. to be. Yeah. Right. Um, so, like, how is sin defeated if, if they just, if the Trinity's undone and Jesus is on his own? Are you saying that a human sacrifice is what, or is God still no. sacrificed? So is Jesus still, does he still carry like, you know, the full allotment of God power when he's on his own, separated from the other members of the Trinity? Let's say, So I think I may have stumbled onto another atonement theory that has never been talked about. Ever? <laughs> I have not been able to find it anywhere. Hmm. I'm not making this up. Alright. That... I'll, I'll, I'll wave to you when you're getting burned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're getting burned. I have yet to see um, somebody write sufficiently on the passage from 2 Corinthians that talks about he became... He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That somehow on the cross, what if Jesus became the full embodiment and incarnation of sin and was shamed, humiliated, and crucified and buried 
so that sin for what it was in its totality was shamed, humiliated, crucified, and buried. So I have yet to see somebody talk sufficiently about Jesus being the embodiment of sin being crucified. I mean, is that different than the scapegoat theory? Yes. How so? Because what I'm talking about is the death of sin, uh, not the ostracizing of a person. Not the sacrificial death of something good, but rather the death of something the bad. The death of something bad. Yeah, yeah that's a better yeah, word. Yeah. yeah. And so in that sense, the person that came out of the tomb, the risen Christ, who was still the Jesus of Nazareth, but showed himself to actually be the Christ of cosmic history, the first or the second person of the Trinity that existed before the creation of time, all of a sudden, like the veil was lifted and people realized like this dude was not just a dude. Yeah. This was, this was the Christ that we've, yeah. And I think one of the things that really interested me about Good Friday, is especially like Good Friday services, mm-hmm. is they're designed, if they're done right, <laughs> they never have the word hallelujah said in them. Ah. They're supposed to be a church service where you show up somber and you leave somber. I once yeah. went to a church service where at the end of Good Friday we sang, My Redeemer Lives. I was like, what? <laughs> uh. We should sing that in, on Sunday, yeah. not right now. But... There's something, okay, so like, maybe not the Trinity was undone. Maybe the Trinity was broken open. All right. So that we could actually be a part of the God. Like, and it's the mutual indwelling, that we dwell in God and God yeah. dwells in yeah. us. That's a, a mystic reality that I don't know if Western Protestant Christianity knows how no. to understand. No. That being said, what if it's, even in your... Let's, let's like contextual, contextualize it to the individual person, whoever might be listening. In the moment when you feel the most abandoned and forsaken by God, when you think God has turned away and that even his Holy Spirit has left you in the pits of hell, that is still not the end of your story. That there's something to be said that when you're in the deepest, darkest, loneliest place of your entire existence and you've just been shamed, humiliated, and ostracized and kicked outside of your town, your city, your family, your family, friend group, friend group, your tribe, even like from your own self, like I can't believe I did those things. Yeah. Um, That there is a fidelity from God that's even deeper or strong enough to pull you through even when you think that has completely left you. Hmm. Huh. Now, that's kind of rushing a little bit ahead to Easter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm content saying when, it says, when the creeds say that Jesus descended into hell, yeah. I want to take that to its full extreme, that Jesus went to the lowest yeah. pits and levels of hell apart from the Father and apart from having a Holy Spirit because it's that song that I mentioned, lower still. He's yeah. got to keep going lower. Yeah. He went so low that no other human yeah. 
could say, no, I went lower and therefore I'm outside of the reach mm. of, of God. It's almost like in order to pick someone up, you have to get your hands under them. Mm-hmm. You have to literally be lower than they are. So, okay. I mean, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, does Jesus crawl his own way back out of that hole? Or is it the Trinity that reaches down and pulls him back out? What is the mechanics of resurrection? Because, you know, if it, on the one hand, I like the vision of, of Jesus, the perfect man who was a sacrifice, crawling his own way back out because uh, he is God uh, and conquering sin, right? The Christus Victor sort of. Right. That's you know, another alternative theory. That's right? a good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I also like this idea that if we're breaking open the Trinity and he's going into the depths, yeah. that God stretches his arms just as wide or wider to, to capture him and bring him back. And in doing so, draws everything pulls else. everything else in. The That's fullness cool. of creation in between his arms. Behold, cool. I make all things new. Yeah, right? New. Are, are you a universalist? I, I'm not <laughs> saying that. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I would... I have a hard time uh, saying universalism, Christian universalism is true. I am content in saying in universal reconciliation, at least. What does that mean? That everything, things on heaven and things on earth, have been reconciled to God through him shedding his blood on the cross. That's like verbatim Colossians 1. Yeah. The hard thing that we have to reconcile, reconcile, is how do we hold that all things have been reconciled, but maybe not everything will be redeemed? Now, yeah. and I say that because reconcile and redeemed are often used interchangeably. So it's sort of like an annihilationist perspective? Well, re- reconciled means that relationship has been restored. Things are good again. Yeah. Redeemed means all things are made new. Oh. And we often do a disservice to the Trinity when we say God is the creator, Jesus is the redeemer, yeah. Holy Spirit is the sustainer. Yeah. Actually, if we want to be like... In one sense, technical, Christ is the reconciler. Holy Spirit is the redeemer. Hmm. Um, But that gets into questions of modalism, which is another thing on its own. But we're just dabbling in all the heresies tonight. (laughs) (laughs) But the, at least, Good Friday is fascinating to me because on this day, Triumph does not look like triumph. Triumph is looking like defeat. That it's another instance where this is this has got to be a a divine origin story. Like it, it, no human mind would have made this up. If you're going to invent a tale of a god, you would have come up with something triumphant and amazing, not something that dragged your main figure through Gethsemane. Gabbatha and Golgotha. Yeah, I'm not studied up on my uh, my hero narratives, but I feel like I've heard popular atheists try and say that that's not the case. That there's other examples of you know, uh, you know, uh, mythological figures in other religions that a you know have the virgin birth that you know that kind of a piece, and that there's other ones who uh, have risen from the dead. 
Um, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I, I'm, I'm not really sure that either of us are studied well enough to say that definitively. Right. Um, that being said, I don't think that that undercounts or discounts the story of Jesus because I don't think, I don't think that's where you hang your hat at the end of the day. I think there's a lot of other reasons to believe this story. Right. I mean, we can talk about historicity things maybe in the next podcast. Um, but about in the, response to that, about the critiques from other stories, I mean, a little bit. Some people, some people have actually already responded to that by saying some of the Egyptian gods and some yeah. of the Mesopotamian ones yeah. that have a god that dies and comes back again. Yeah. But it's cyclical. It keeps happening every year. Uh, okay. And so all of a sudden, the Christian narrative is different because it happened once, but Jesus doesn't keep dying. And then it's a and mic drop. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah. I'm out. So that's time for this one. This was a good Friday. This was a good Friday. Next is Easter. <laughs> All right.